Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. ready to hear a message and be encouraged tonight if you are saying amen. amen. I'm going to do my best to get through all of my notes. I really have preached this one point all day today. And uh, last night I preached two points and today I'm going, tonight I'm going for the, for the, for the, for the trifecta, for the whole thing. I want to encourage you. Um, I don't want to keep our dream teams too long uh, tonight either, but I, but I do feel like God has a message that I think is going to help you uh, this week and, and, and maybe... Uh, Today you'll leave different than the way you, you came in. If you have a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 19, verse 28. If you have a Bible app, you can open your app to John 19, 28. If you have neither, then the screen behind me is your friend. You can read along with me. It goes like this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Verse 29, now a vessel full of bitter wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with bitter wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Verse 30, so when Jesus had received the bitter wine, he said, it is finished. I wonder if you'd be so kind as to shout out those three words with me on three. One, two, three. It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. You know, if you've never heard the Easter story before, I would suggest to you that you could summarize that story in three words. It is finished. If you have heard the Easter story before, I would suggest to you that you have never heard the Easter story before until you hear it through the filter of it is finished. It's a powerful phrase, but it really doesn't move our heart because sometimes we can't really engage with the power of finish. The, the word doesn't make us cry. The, the word doesn't move our heart. The, the word doesn't pierce the, the calluses of, of our life and our day. We can't focus on the, the, the finality of finish because we forgot what it was like to be unfinished to not be completed, to not be done. And so to, to bring some of those emotions back to your recollection, I got some images on the screen that might awaken some of that. And the first is the stress of unfinished. I got a picture on the screen, the stress of unfinished. I don't know if you know what this is right here, but this is an Ikea chair bought from Ikea, also known as the devil's lair. And, uh, and I love Ikea furniture because it's cheap, amen. But also, I ain't putting together no furniture, man. It's frustrating. It's tough. You got all these things in the box. It comes with instructions, but the instructions, the only instructions in the world that ain't got words, just pictures. All the screws are the same size. It's very stressful to be unfinished. Now, combine that or compare that, rather, to the relief of finish. The relief of This is a picture of the relief. That person is so glad to be done with that chair that they got from Ikea. I got questions about this picture right here. Number one, if you built the chair, why are there so many screws left <laughs> on, the, on the floor? And then secondly, take a good look at that chair. I'm pretty sure the back is flipped upside down. I'm pretty sure. Listen, it's not perfect, but it's finished. Can I preach on that for just a, just a second? I think some people are disillusioned with their experience in Christianity because Jesus said it was finished and we walk away from life and we're not perfect and we're mad because we're not perfect because we still got issues and we still got struggles. But when he died on the cross, he didn't say it is perfect. He said it is finished. Somebody say uh, it is finished. Now say I'm not perfect, but I am finished. You think I'm bad now? You should have seen me before Christ. My life was in pieces. I'm glad that I can function in some kind of way. I'm glad that I can be used in some kind of way. I might not have it all together, but I'm together. Come on, somebody. Huh? Thank you, Jesus. I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm finished. That's the tension of Christianity, by the way, that you can exist in both planes. The thief on the cross was not perfect, but somehow he made it to heaven. How come? Because he was finished. He was finished. He was finished. That's the stress of unfinished. Then I think about the weight of unfinished. I got a picture for the weight of unfinished. Yeah. Come on. If you work out, you know that feeling. You're looking at that thing. If you don't work out, you have no idea what that even is. It's called a barbell. You lift it. And you develop these things called muscles. And <laughs> it's good for you. But it's overwhelming to even just look at. And when I think about the weight of unfinished, the weight of the task ahead, I think about the dreams behind. 
I think about the weight of unfinished dreams and the weight of unfinished goals. Remember all them dreams you had when you was a kid? It's crazy how low the bar drops the older we get. I want to be an astronaut. I'll be the president. At 40 years old, you'd be like, I want to go to bed by nine. That'd be amazing. And we had to lower the bar because it started to get exhausting believing that you could be great. We had to lower the bar because it started to get exhausting believing that you could accomplish big things. And so we have this, this weight of unfinished compared to the accomplishment of finished, right? Like this guy right here. Yeah, he did it. <laughs> he lifted it, but boy, it cost him everything. And he is exhausted. He is spent. And honestly, this looks like me not even trying to reach my goals. This looks like me just trying to be a good person. Anybody exhausted just trying to be a good person? I get tired just trying not to cuss. Like that's all my energy right there. Trying not to kill my children right there. That's me. I'm exhausted just trying to do it. It's exhausting trying to be good. It's exhausting trying to be righteousness. Maybe that's why Jesus had to lift the cross because he's saying is, I'm going to lift the righteousness that you can never be. I'm going to do it. The dreams that you can never accomplish, I'm going to accomplish. The goals that you can never reach, I'm going to reach the goals on your behalf. This is the beautiful thing about Jesus. In essence, he did what we could not do. He went in the gym, he did the crunches, and we got the six pack. Come on. He did the curls, we got the biceps. He did the squats, we got the booty, in Jesus' name. <laughs> you like that one, okay, praise the Lord. I'm just so grateful that he lifted what I could not lift. I don't have to be the best person. I don't have to be good. He was good for me. Did you see that? That's the weight of unfinished. Then I wrestle with the uncertainty of unfinished. Do you know what that's like, to not know how it's gonna end? and the uncertainty of that and the tension that puts your life in, when I think of the uncertainty of unfinished, I think of this. Do you know what this is? This is my fifth grader's math homework. He pulled me over the other day, said, Dad, he said, can you help me with, your home, with my homework? I said, let me take a look. I started reading it. It said, applying algebraic functions, directions for A and B, Use the given rules to write the first five. No. I stopped right there. That's what I told him. I said, I will not help you with this assignment. He said, how come? I said, two reasons. Number one, that's why my taxes pay your teachers. I feed you, they teach you. It's a good deal we got going on. It keeps the world working and spinning. <laughs> Number two, I'm 36 years old. I got a master's degree. I did that already. <laughs> 25 years ago, I did that. And I am about to do it again. I'm not going to waste no energy. I'm not going to waste no time trying to solve a problem that already been solved. Come on, somebody. I'm not talking about what happened 25 years ago. I'm talking about what happened 2,023 years ago. Jesus solved the problem that you don't got to solve no more. He solved sin. He solved death. He solved sin. Stop trying to spin your wheels, trying to figure something out that already been, you already graduated. I don't need to know how to do it. I don't need to know how it turns out because I know how it turns out. On Sunday, he came out the grave and one day I'm going to come out the grave. I know how this finishes. I don't need to live in the uncertainty. There's the uncertainty of finished. And then finally, you know, something that we all wrestle with is the guilt of unfinished. The guilt of unfinished. I brought a picture that might, the, the guilt of unfinished, you know. <laughs> Some of you have no idea what this is. I gotta be careful when I use illustrations like this because it ages me. Because we got a lot of Gen Z in the church today who have never seen this logo in their life. But where are my people? Have you ever walked into a Blockbuster before? Raise your hand if you ever. Yeah, let's go. Blockbuster was legit, man. I actually liked it. I don't know about you. I enjoyed going in there. They knew, always knew what I wanted to watch. They did way better than the Netflix suggestions. I suddenly see stuff that Netflix suggests me. I was like, I would never watch that. But you go in the Blockbuster and they're like, what's your blood type? <laughs> They're like, oh, they're like, we got a whole section here for you. We got this. We know exactly the kind. And they would get it right. I'd be like, man, you're good at this. It was great. I loved everything about Blockbuster. The popcorn. I don't know if you remember. You get the microwave popcorn. You buy that right before that. It was a whole thing. Maybe get some snow caps in there, some raisinets. 
I didn't only like one thing about Blockbuster, though. And you'll know exactly what it is. Because some of y'all still got them right now. Of course, I'm talking about the late fees. You know how those late fees work? I had to look it up because I have forgotten. Your rental was either three or five days. But once you passed the rental period, it was a dollar a day. Do you know how fast a dollar a day adds up? 30% of their business came from late fees. Some of y'all right now, old blockbuster, $12,794. Because you rented Titanic 20 years ago. And you have not returned it since. <laughs> but one day, Blockbuster went out of business. And bad for Blockbuster, but good for you. And good for me. In fact, they started making fun of themselves when they went out of business. They sent CNN a headline. The headline said this. <laughs> hey, your late fees, they're good. <laughs> because we're not around anymore. <laughs> and uh, I'm just trying to tell somebody who didn't even know that they had a debt, yeah. that your debt has been paid. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm, specifically, I'm specifically talking to a group of people who, who came to church today, and, and you, it's been a while since you've returned. Yeah, like, and I'm not going to make fun of you, and I'm not going to make you feel bad, and I'm not going to try and hurt your feelings, because some other churches, some other pastors, they, got, they even got names for you. They call you CEO Christians, Christmas, Christmas Easter only Christians. I would never do that to you. I just want you to know that, because the reality is sometimes if it's been a while since you've walked in here, you walk in here and you wonder, you wonder if you got some lay fees. You wonder what God's attitude is going to be towards someone who used to come when they were younger, but they don't come anymore or who's never been. I wonder if I'm going to be encountered by a God who's mad at me, who's angry at me. And I just want to tell you, using Blockbuster as my illustration, that that old way of doing business is closed. And every late fee has been canceled. Every penalty has been paid. You are free to live your life. I'm not mad at you. I'm not salty at you. I'm just glad that you're here and Jesus is too. And this is my message in a sentence. This is my problem that I'm trying to solve for you. This is where I want to help you. There's so many of us that came to church today, so many of us watching online are living under the stress, the weight, the uncertainty, and the guilt of unfinished, not knowing that the life that God has given you is already finished. And so much of your tension and so much of your pain can be resolved, not if you do anything, but if you receive what has already been done. It's finished. Live your life now after this message. Go out and be the best you after this message because it's all been paid. It's all been wrapped up. Now you just got to walk in it. This is the title that God has given to, for, for you, that he's given through me, and I feel like it's going to pierce your soul when you hear it. I need you to hear it, whatever you've been carrying, whatever you've been wearing, whatever you've been feeling, whatever you've been. Listen to me. This is my title, and this is for you. It's three words that I feel like is going to change your life forever, starting tonight. It's over now. It's over now. That's the title of my message. You know, unfortunately, if you've ever heard the Jesus story, the only thing you ever heard was that Jesus died for our sins. Now, that's awesome and that's amazing, but there's two problems with that. One, your sins are not the only thing he died for. More ended at the cross than you realize. More ended. And two, it's hard to talk about a world full of sin when so many people don't even believe that sin is even a thing anymore. And so I'm going to just put sin to the side because we might deny that we have sin in our life. We might deny that sin is even real. We might say that it's subjective depending on uh, where you grew up, depending on if your, or your parents were or Republicans or Democrats, depending on what religion you had. So I'm going to just take sin. I'm going to put it over there. We're going to come back to it. But I want us to talk about something that we can't deny. And that's not the sin in our past, but the pain of our past. There's not a person in this room that can make it to the age of 20. There's not a person in this room who can make it to the age of eight. And tell me that you have not experienced pain. You know what's great about Jesus? You know what's great about the cross? When you hear him drinking the wine on the cross, that was actually the second time that he was offered wine. Look at the first time he was offered wine in Mark chapter 15, verse 23. There on the cross, they tried to give him wine mixed with a drug called myrrh, but Jesus would not 
drink it. What is myrrh? Myrrh was an ancient anesthetic. It was a primordial painkiller. It was like Vicodin, but old school, okay? It was like oxycodone, but old school. It was, it was a, there was somebody by the cross who had compassion on Jesus because he was hurting so much, and they wanted to give him something that would help relieve some of the pain that he was feeling, and he pushed it away. Wow. Not because Jesus is a masochist. He pushed it away because he wanted to feel every whip. He wanted wanted every thorn to sting. He wanted every bruise to throb. He wanted every slice to burn. He wanted to feel it, please catch this, because he didn't just take away our sin on the cross, he also took on our pain. He wanted to feel what you feel. Here's my first point, if you're taking notes. Listen to me, because I know you've got pain in your life. But something happened on the cross, and this is what happened. Listen, whatever happened, it's over now. It's over. Whatever you went through, whatever you endured, it's over now. I'm going to tell you a little story about pain and about God's relationship to your pain that's a little traumatizing to share. Um, my family and I went skiing recently, and I, I went with my wife and my kids, but only me and my kids went up the mountain the second time. Everybody went up the first time, but um, my wife, who we love her so much, she kind of fell a lot the first time. And so when we went up the second time, she's like, I'm going to go to the hotel and pray for y'all. <clears throat> You enjoy going down that mountain a second time. And so we took the boys, and uh, I don't know if you know this about confidence. There's really two extremes. One is uh, a lack of confidence. You should never have a lack of confidence in life. But the other extreme is just as dangerous, and that one's called overconfidence. Well, we had gone down some, like, little bunny-type slopes, and so I, I took it up a notch. I took our boys. I was like, hey, let's go take it up one level. They're like, Dad, are you sure? I'm like, we got this. Um, and so we went down this, just one tiny little level up above. We started skiing, and we were doing so good, man. What I didn't realize by going up the mountain alone with them is that I had become outnumbered. One adult to two children. You'll find out why that's important in just a moment. We get to the edge, and there's this steep slope. And I know, and I know that our ski skills are not prepared for this slope. I can tell by the steepness, the degree of this slope that we're not ready. But I don't know if you know how skiing works. You can't go back up the mountain. You, you, you're going down. Whether, whether you're skiing or rolling, you're going down. So I looked at the boys. I said, all right, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go down this. If it becomes too much for us, just fall back. Because it's snow. It's like a cold pillow. It's the best thing to do. If you ever are losing control in your skis, you just, just, the snow will stop you. It'll all be good. So I was like, we're all on the same page. All right, do what daddy said, fall back. Yeah, we got it down. All right, cool. We go down the mountain. It, it is fast. And within seconds, my oldest justice just crashes. Within seconds. He's fine though, because of snow. But I see him. I stop. Buddy, you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. He's got one ski up in the air. I'm okay. Cool, man. I look over to my right, and Zane, my youngest. Now, here's something you know about Zane. He's a daredevil. He loves risk. He is an adventure addict, okay, an adrenaline junkie. He's not. Pray for him. He loves it. He zooms past me. I look over, and I told him, if you are going faster than you can control, fall down. He's as he passes me, I'm yelling, fall, fall, fall. And he just keeps going. And as he passes me, he does one of these. <laughs> but his legs are frozen because he has no idea what's happening. Just, just passes past, just flashes past me. And within 30 seconds, I can't see him anymore. Now, this is a nine-year-old. The mountain is 10 miles wide. And I can't see him. And now I'm stuck. Now, this is where the outnumbered thing comes into play. Because now I got two kids, one adult, and I'm forced to, who do I save? (laughs) Do I stay with this one or do I go after that? I know Jesus left the 99 to go get the one. Do I leave the one for the one? How does this work? What do I do? So then I have to start asking myself the tough questions. 
who do I love more? <laughs> I'm just kidding, I didn't ask that question. Who's gonna put me in a home? Who's gonna take care of me when I retire? <laughs> Who's got the best career options? <laughs> Who's doing good at math? No, I'm just... <laughs> going with that guy. No, honestly, it just became probability. I just thought to myself, I probably have the best chance of saving the kid who's with me. So Justice and I just kind of waddled our way down the mountain. Now, mind you, it's been 30 minutes and I haven't seen Zane. I am freaking. I'm crying underneath my ski mask. Justice can't see because I'm far from him intentionally. I'm, I'm shaking. Um, and I'm just, and then all of a sudden after 30 minutes, my ski jacket begins to vibrate. I look at the phone, I pull it out, and it's my wife. I answer real quick. She goes, hey. I go, yeah. She goes, um, did you lose our son on the mountain? I was like, 100%. Absolutely, yes, I did. She goes, oh, man, well, some lady found him crashed at the bottom. She picked him up and skied all the way down. They're waiting for you down there. I was like, oh, my goodness, thank you so much. And I, and I walked down there, and I wanted to kill him. Because all he had to do was obey. All he had to do was listen. Now catch this, please. It was his craziness. It was his disobedience. It was his choices. It was my pain. It was my stress. It was my tears. Even though I didn't do what he did, I went through it like I was, like I was the one who did it. Are you catching it? This is why Isaiah 53, 4 says, but the fact is it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. I want you to know that even though it was your choices and even though you made some bad decisions, God the Father was up there crying with you, broken with you. When he was on the cross, he was dying with you, experiencing the pain with you. And when I went down that mountain and I finally caught my son, I told him, I looked him, I wanted a body slam, but I just looked at him and I said, buddy, I just need you to know I was freaked out. I was worried. I was scared. I'm so glad you're okay. And I could see in his eyes, they went from anger because he was angry at me. Even though he was the one that left, he was angry. But sometimes we're angry at God, even though we're, times we're the ones that leave and then we expect him to keep protecting us when we're the ones that left his protection. But I was like, I'm gonna put that to the side. And so I looked at him and his, his, his disposition changed when he realized that I had not abandoned him, but suffered with him. And I wonder if your disposition would change if you would realize that God did not abandon you. He was not absent when you were going through what you were going through. He was going through it with you. He was crying with you. He was beaten with you, betrayed with you, abused with you, left to die with you. He went through it right with you. You thought you were alone. He was suffering with you every step of the way. Someone thinks, well, that's really, that's really cool. I'm glad that God, you know, that he shared my pain. But if he was really God, he would have prevented my pain. But he wouldn't. Why? Because he's a good father. Well, what does that mean? Good fathers don't prevent their kids from experiencing failure. Because failure is how you learn. Could you imagine a good father never letting their kid learn to walk out of fear that he might fall? Good fathers don't prevent their kids from failing. Good fathers prevent their kids from being defined by failure. Which was what I did because the next morning I woke up and I was like, how, how, what y'all think about going skiing today? And they were like, um, maybe later. And I was like, you mean like at 3 p.m.? And they were like, maybe like three years from now we could come back and try skiing. And I could see it. I could see in both of them at this point. They've been traumatized. And I just refused for that to be their last experience with skiing. So I said, no, we're going to figure this out. So I studied the mountain. I went on YouTube. I learned how to stop. I feel like that would have been helpful the first time we went up. But I and I showed them, and we, went, and we went down the mountain three times. Glory to God. Nobody got lost. Nobody got hurt. I couldn't prevent the pain. Hear me. But I wasn't going to let them carry that pain all their life. I couldn't prevent the trial, but I was not going to allow the trial to turn into trauma. And when you realize that that is how God operates in our lives through the sacrifice of the cross, Isaiah 53 hits different. But the fact is, it was our pains he prevented. But the fact is, it was our pains he stopped. It was our pains he avoided. No, 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 no. But the fact is, it was our pains he 
carried. He said, you went through it, but you don't got to hold on to it. Put it on me. I'm going to carry it. I'm going to take it. I wrote it like this. Jesus didn't die so that we wouldn't feel pain. Jesus died so that we wouldn't carry pain. We wouldn't carry it. Don't carry it no more. Did you notice Jesus died? He was like waiting to do something before he died. John 19, 29. We read it, but now that you see it this way, you'll never see it the same way again. Now, a vessel full of bitter. Somebody say bitter. Bitter wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with bitter. Somebody say bitter. Bitter wine. Put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. Verse 30. So when Jesus had received the bitter, somebody say bitter. Then he said, it is finished. Isn't it interesting that he waited to suck up the bitter wine before choosing to die? It was like he had one step left in the mission. It wasn't just to take away the sins of the world. It wasn't to avoid pain. What he had come to do in that moment, oh, I hope this hits you. I hope this frees you. He came to suck up. He came to take on the bitterness that that pain should have caused in your life. I'm sorry I couldn't keep you from being hurt, but you don't got to be bitter. You don't got to be bitter anymore. This is how it works. Uh, Martin, I don't know if you can help me really quickly. Uh, this is Martin Duarte. He's our production director. We give it up for him and the team. They did such a great job. did such a great job. Late nights, early mornings. We're grateful for you. And uh, can you help us by pretending to be Jesus for just a little bit right here? You'll be Jesus. And I'm going to show you how this actually, when I say Jesus took on our bitterness, sucked up our bitterness, that's very theological and that's very ethereal and that's very theoretical. But I'm going to show you how that actually works and how you can apply that and not be bitter any longer. The things that happen, happen, they're over now. You can move on. I'm going to show you how. Let's say, for example, well, I'm going to need your help in this. We're going to need to participate. I'm going to need you to be honest with me, by the way. I'm going to ask you a question, and if it's you, I need you to raise your hand, okay? Now, don't be fake, okay? The holiday is called Easter, not Halloween. All right? So on three, really listen. If anybody, forget on three. Just raise your hand when I say, if, if, if there's anybody in church today you don't want to be, you wish you weren't, but if you're honest... You're a little mad at somebody. Raise your hand. You're a little mad at somebody. Okay, we're going to pretend. Okay, cool. I'm going to help you out. I'm going to rephrase the question and it'll free you to raise your hand. If you've ever been mad at somebody, raise your hand. If you've ever been, ever been. See, some of y'all like past it. If you'd have said that the first time, I'd have raised my hand, but I couldn't raise it the first way you phrased it because I came to the person to church with today that I'm mad at. And if I had raised my hand the first time, they'd have known it was me. So I had to thank you for the second question. <clears throat> If someone's mad at you, or if someone hurts you, listen, you should be mad at them. It's not bad to be mad at people that hurt you. That's the proper response. To do anything less would be denial. You can feel the pain and be mad. What you can't do is carry the pain. Because if you carry the pain, then carrying the pain of a person that hurts you turns into a form of bitterness that we know as unforgiveness. And you can hold on forgiveness for a minute and it not bother you. You hold on forgiveness for 10 minutes, it starts to get exhausting. You hold on forgiveness for 10 years, you're not progressing in life. Although because it feels so little, because it feels so small, it's not a big deal. Until you try and enter into a relationship with anybody. The moment you try and enter into a relationship with anybody, all of a sudden there is tension on this relationship because of what happened in the last one. That's what unforgiveness does. But you don't have to carry it any longer. You can break free of that. You can give it to God to carry because all unforgiveness really is is unresolved justice. You know what that means when I say unresolved justice? What I'm saying is all we really want is the person who hurt us to pay. And if he's not going to pay, somebody needs to pay for here. That's why when we ask for apologies, we're so elaborate. We're like, don't just say sorry. Get on your knees. I need to see you cry. I need tears to hit the ground. I need to know that you feel the pain that I felt. I shall not release you. <laughs> and what will you do different next time? Tell me. Somebody has to, you know, it's like when you were a kid, they hit you. I'll forgive you the moment I get to hit you back. Right? And that's totally human. Right? Because honestly, forgiveness is not what they did is okay. Don't believe that. When my kids get into fights and one kid hits the other kid, I say, apologize. They go, no, it's okay. And I say, no, no, it's not okay. It's not okay that they hurt you. It's not okay that someone hurts you. But if you mean it, say, I forgive you. Because what forgiveness really is, is saying, you know what? The justice that I deserve and the pain that you should feel for the way that you hurt me, here's what it says. I believe that pain should be punished. This is what real forgiveness is. Ready? But I'm not going to be the one to punish you. Did you know that? Have you ever heard forgiveness taught that way? Forgiveness is saying, I release you from the punishment that you deserve. And if anyone's going to punish you, I'm going to leave it to God to punish you. 
but I'm not gonna punish you for the thing that you deserve that hurt me. And that's only half of it. Here's the other half. Then the other half comes in realizing that not only are you releasing it to God to punish that person who hurt you, but when you look at the cross, you realize God already did punish. This is gonna hurt somebody. This is gonna offend somebody, but you need to hear it. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins, he didn't just die for your sins and my sins. He died for your ex-husband's sins too. And he died for your employer who, who put you out. He died for his sins too. And he died for that uncle that touched you inappropriately. That person too. The justice that you seek, the punishment that you desire, it's already been poured out on Jesus at the cross. Yes, someone deserves to pay. And yes, someone already did. And now you can release that and live in a state of forgiveness because God, whatever needed to happen, you already did it on the cross. And so I let you go. I, I can't prevent the pain that person caused, but I'm not going to carry unforgiveness anymore. I wonder if there's anybody who, who wrestles with a form of bitterness called regret. Regret. My illustration for regret is a backpack because regret follows you. It, it can be bitter when you spend your whole life regretting some of the bad decisions. Anybody ever make a bad decision? Huh? Maybe, maybe you regret sending that text message. You up? Huh. Now you got twins. <laughs> ben, you want to chill. this is our last service. I'm going to finish my message. So I'm going to, I'm going to call y'all up in a, like 15 minutes. Okay. <laughs> so but I appreciate y'all doing what you're supposed to do. Thank you. Give it up for the band. Isn't there seven times, six times, six times. Maybe you, maybe you regret that investment you made, dog coin, or whatever it's called. <laughs> Just inside joke, Martin. Dogecoin, um, crypto bit, whatever. Um, maybe, hey, listen, this one's a little serious. Maybe you had a parent that just passed away and you wish you had spent more time with them before they got home. Or a kid, that, a kid that grew up, left the house, you wish you had spent more time with them when they left. Or maybe it's that degree that you spent $60,000 on for what? Because now you're in a career that doesn't even use the degree that you got. And now you're spending all this money trying to get out of debt with a job that doesn't even pay enough money to pay back the debt. Yeah, somebody got into that one right there. <laughs> They say, yes, Lord, this sermon is for me. And if you're not careful, this regret will follow you all the way through your life. But let me tell you something about regret. Regret is just a lie that we choose to believe. You know what the lie of regret says? The lie of regret says this, that just because it was bad, and just because it looks bad, and just because it feels bad, and just because even it is bad, here's what the lie says. Now the rest of your life is going to be bad. That's really what regret is, that your past is going to dictate the rest of your future. But you know how... The cross helps us in, in releasing this and letting going this of, yeah, it happened, but it's over now. You know how it helps us? Because I can put this on the cross because when I look at the cross, I hope you catch this, the cross looks bad. The cross felt bad. The cross was bad. But on the day when all of those bad things happened to Jesus, we call that Good Friday. Because not everything that is bad ends bad. God has the ability to turn suffering into, into, into celebration. He has the ability to turn tests into testimonies. He has the ability to turn pain into praise. Just because it was bad, just because it is bad, doesn't mean God can't turn it into a miracle for you. I'm trying to encourage you today. Whatever happened, I wish it didn't happen, but it's over now. And your best days are still ahead. God's going to turn it. God's going to flip it. Let it go. Move on. It's over. Let's go. And then there are the wounds, then there are the wounds, then there are the wounds in our life. You know the wounds, like, like you're 30 years old and you're still salty you didn't get invited to that fifth grade party. Still mad. It was a Justin that invited you and now you can't even be friends with Justins. If somebody got a name named Justin, you just, you twitch. You don't like it. If he was that father that left you, that spouse that cheated on you. You know what's interesting to me? When Jesus came back, from the dead when he resurrected. The Bible says that when his disciples didn't know that it was him, he said, take your finger, put, put it in my hand. Put it in the holes of my hand if you want to know it was me. Take your hand, put it in my side. I think that's so funny and weird and interesting that when Jesus was resurrected, he was resurrected with holes in his hands. Like, I don't even understand. Like, did they run out of skin in the resurrection factory? 
what were the angels thinking? You know, is that a prank on Jesus? You know, they were like, you can come back to life, but let's leave him with whole. Let's send him down there. They'll like it. They'll think it's cool. I don't understand. It definitely was intentional because we know that God is intentional in all that he does. Until I remembered something that happened to me when I was 12. I don't know if you can see it, but right here in the middle of my head, I got this vertical scar that goes up and down my face. You might not be able to see it because I got so many wrinkles right now because I'm getting old. <laughs> but I promise you, it's right there and it's in the, in the middle. And uh, what happened, I was 13 years old. I was playing football in the streets of New York and I caught a football and I turned around and my neighbor had a mailbox and the door was ripped open. And on the bottom, there was a little point and my head went into the point. I came out and there was literally a hole in my head. The blood was coming out profusely. I ran upstairs to my mom. She was not ready. She about passed out. Dad came, grabbed something, put it on my head, and then rushed me to the ER, sewed it up. Years later, listen, I'm 36, and I still got a scar from that hole. After they stitch it up, because that's how it's supposed to work. You get holes in your body, you're going to have scars in your body. And that was when it hit me. That when Jesus came back to life, he had two holes. But if he had two holes then that means he had no scars. Ooh. The holes had to stay there because the holes were his testimony, but his testimony didn't scar him. When you go through something, it might leave holes in your body, but just because you got holes in your story doesn't mean you have to have scars on your life. I'm trying to speak to anybody who's been through the divorce. The divorce happened, and I'm sorry that it happened. And in all sincerity, what I'm about to say, I don't mean to be mean, but I mean to be freeing. It's over now. Whatever happened, you got holes because of that divorce, but that divorce don't got to scar you anymore. If there's anybody in the room today who's been molested, I'm so sorry. I hope you get into therapy and you get better and God works on you and you will forever have holes because of what happened. But those holes don't have to be scars. It happened, but it's over now. That parent that abandoned you and had you raising yourself and your brothers and your sisters by yourself, that, that infidelity that you experienced, I'm so sorry. It left holes in your life. But just because it left holes doesn't mean that it has to scar you. In fact, what you went through could be a testimony to prove to other people that Jesus is real, that the resurrection is real, that miracles are real. It happened, but it's over now. And I'm not going to let it scar me. I'm still going to be sweet, and I'm still going to be kind, and I'm still going to be generous, and I'm still going to pray, and I'm still going to worship, and I'm still going to have faith, and I'm still going to trust people, even though people were the ones that hurt me. And I'm still going to believe that God has a plan for my life. I got holes, but I ain't got no scars. I wonder if there's anybody in church who can testify today that I got holes, but I ain't got scars. It happened, but it's over now. It happened, but it's over now. I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to live. I'm ready to be the best me. I'm ready to come out of the grave, resurrected with holes and no scars. In Jesus' name. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. Now listen, this is the part I haven't been able to preach all weekend. I'm just going to say it right now. What I love about Jesus is that he didn't just die to take away my past. He also died to set up my future. Here's my next point. Whatever you're worried about, you can stop now. Because <laughs> it's finished. Luke 23, 46, Jesus said, crying out in a loud voice, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I entrust my life. The last thing he said wasn't I finished. The last thing he said was, I trust you. In the time in our lives when most human beings will be most worried, at the point of death, I don't know what you're worried about today, paying bills, how your kids are going to turn out. You already know you got one that's kind of crazy. You're already wondering, what is his future? What is her future? I don't know what you're worried about, but I want death to be the ultimate placeholder of your worry. When Jesus is in the ultimate place of worry, he goes, God, I trust you. Have you ever seen a believer die? I have. It's one of the most beautiful things you will ever experience. There's no fear behind their eyes. There's no worry. There's no concern. They are so ready because they know what was finished at Easter. They're not worried about death. They're not worried about the, the great unknown. They know that they can trust. I love that Jesus said, I entrust you with my life. Not, I trusted you with my life. He said, I trust you. He was looking forward because he knew there was more still to come. Why? Why was he so confident? Because coming to the cross doesn't mean just trusting Jesus with your past. It means trusting Jesus with your future too. The moment you put your trust in Jesus, I would have like this, you're not hoping for a victory. You have the victory. 
Do you know what it's like to live from victory? If you don't know what it's like to live from victory, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was in Little League, we played baseball, and uh, that was pretty good. Our team was okay. We were playing a really good team, but whatever, whatever day, that day when we went to play, the other team didn't have enough players. You need nine to play baseball. And they didn't have nine. They had like seven or eight. I can't remember. And all I know is when we got to the field to play, the other coach came out, the other coach came out, the umpire was there. They had to keep score, you know, and they had to keep standings because there's playoffs involved. And he looked at our team, he said, the other team doesn't have enough players. They forfeit, you win. My coach said, awesome. Guys, we won. <laughs> we're like, woo. Then he looked at everybody, he said, hey, but while we're all here, y'all want to play the game anyway? So we played with nine. They played with eight. Before the first pitch was thrown, we had already won. And there were parts in that game where even though they had less people, they scored more runs. <laughs> if they were keeping score, we would have lost. And as they were scoring, I wasn't sad. I was so glad. I was so happy. I was so celebrating. Because even when it looked like I was losing, <laughs> even when it looked like the enemy had me outnumbered, even when it looked like I couldn't make contact with, before I even stepped on the field, the battle had already been won. I wish you would live life from a place of victory, knowing that no matter what happens, you've already won. I'm not sure if my dad's going to get better or if my dad's not going to get better. But you know what I trust? I trust in Jesus because eternity was already won for me before my dad was ever born. I know where he's going. I hope the career works out. Maybe it doesn't work out, but that's okay because I know that my provision was won on the cross for me. I hope this relationship works out. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but that's okay because love and acceptance was already won for me on the cross. I hope I can have children soon. Maybe I will, maybe I won't, but that's okay because my legacy was already won for me on the cross. My destiny was already laid out for me on the cross. I got it before I ever stepped on the field. The moment I put my trust in Jesus, my past was erased and my future was prepared. The way was made. I got it good. I don't got to come up here and preach well. I just got to get up. The salvation was already set up. The healing was already set up. The deliverance was already. I'm preaching from a victory. I'm talking to you from a victory. Go to work from a victory. Raise your kids from a victory. Take that job from a victory. Start that business from a victory. Build that house from a victory. Begin it from a victory. Write that book from a victory. Write that, publish that song from a victory. You already got it, just living it. Just living it. And what kind of life do you have when your past is paid and your future is prepared? A free life where today is the best day of your life. Let me talk about today right now, because this is where we're at. Worship team, you can come up. Let me talk to you about today. Here's today. Listen, if whatever happened is over now, and whatever you're worried about, you can stop now. Here's my last point. Whatever you've been waiting for, you can start now. Don't you wait any longer. Your past is covered. Your future is secure. What are you waiting for? Start living. Start living. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, it's, it's funny to me. Actually, not funny, it's, it's a little concerning, a little interesting, because there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and three of them do not record him saying it is finished. Only John does. The other three only say that he died with a loud shout on his lips. How do we reconcile those two accounts? That means he died shouting, it is finished. He didn't, he didn't go, it's finished. He mustered whatever breath he had in his lungs. And he said, it is finished. And you know why I think he shouted it? I think like the, the guy with the gun at the race. I know what you call him. Let's call him the gunner. <laughs> and he goes, bah, and everybody takes off. I feel like that was his gun. <sighs> I feel like he was like, are you ready, world? The earth was groaning for this moment. Heaven was groaning for this moment. The Holy Spirit was waiting just 40 more days to part. He was waiting for this moment. The angels are waiting for this moment. I think he was making an announcement. I think he was there to tell the world, you can start now. And I think he was there to tell the devil, it's over now. <laughs> hey devil, you had control for thousands of years. 
It's over now. They're free now. They can walk it out now. They can live it out now. It's over now. You thought you had them. It's over now. The word in English, it is finished. It's actually one word in the Greek. It's your new favorite word. It's your next tattoo. But make sure the the artist spells it correctly because it's Greek. It's actually one word in the Greek, three words in English. It is finished. In the Greek, it's one word. It's called tetelestai. Yeah, that's way better than whatever Japanese symbols you were going to put on your arm. I know y'all got it. You don't even know what it means. It just like looks cool. This is a good one. Tetelestai. Say it with me on three. One, two, three. Tetelestai. I love this because it's actually a financial term. It's a, of a commerce term. It's a business term. Whenever you would buy something at a store or buy something that was of big value, the owner of the store would, would write everything on a piece of paper that you bought. And then he would either stamp or she would either stamp or she would write on the bottom. And they would say, tetel, which is short for tetelestai. I actually got a picture of one on the screen. This is an actual Roman parchment written on papyrus. For those who couldn't afford papyrus, it was often written on pieces of pottery, if you can imagine that, because clay was actually cheaper than papyrus. And it was a, a, a list of all the expenses, and then at the bottom right there, it'll say, to tell, to tell us die. I don't know if you're putting two and two together, but this is actually an old school Is a receipt, which I think is so cool. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just, he, he didn't just wipe away our sins, take on our pain, suck up our bitterness, prepare our future. He didn't just do it. He did all that and then on his way out said, and I got receipts. That's my Jesus. That's some savage Jesus who grew up in Miami and New York City. He said, I got receipts. Just in case anybody comes by asking. So you would use receipts in the ancient times for three reasons. Number one, you would use a receipt anytime a tax collector came by because the tax collectors were super shady. So if you paid one tax collector, you would go down the street and another tax collector would come and try and hit you up, shake you down for the same taxes you just paid. And if you didn't pay them again, you'd go to jail. So when you paid your taxes, you had to hold on to the receipt to tell us that. So that when the next tax collector came to shake you down, you go, uh-uh, I got receipts. I think when you leave here today, I think when you shut off this video and you finish this sermon and God does something in your life and changes you, I think you're going to have some people in your family that are going to try and shake you down. And try and throw things in your face to remind you of who you were because they themselves are upset that they're not where you are. So they're going to project their doubt onto you. They're going to project their weaknesses onto you. Oh, I see you going to church now. Hmm. But you was just at the club last week. Mm-hmm. I see you at the church now, but you're still living with this person. I see you at the church now, but you did that, and you did this, and you did that. And I just want to know, sometimes you need to show even the people that we love, don't be afraid. I know you knew me, but you don't know me. And by the way, all the things you mentioned, to tell us die. Paid. The abuse, paid. The abortion, paid. The addiction, paid. All of it, paid. The anger, paid. The past, paid, paid, paid. Don't shake me down, I got receipts. I know what Jesus did for me, I'm a new creation. The other time you would have a receipt is if you was a slave and you saved up enough money to buy your freedom. And then somebody else in the house who were used to you being a slave would try and order you around. And they'd be like, ooh, yeah, about that. I'm sorry, I know you're used to me being your slave and I'm used to you being my master, but I'm free now. To tell us I think when we become Christians, when we become followers of Christ, you know, the Bible says that the old is gone and the new has come. That we used to be slaves to sin and slaves to our flesh, but now that we're in Jesus, we are no longer slaves to our sin, no longer slaves to our flesh. But sometimes the old master be trying. Sometimes he be trying. 
to run our lives, to tell us where to go. Hey, it's, an, it's six o'clock, time for another drink. Mm -mm. You don't own me anymore. <laughs> hey, you're home alone, time to turn on the internet. Time to go to them websites that you like. Nobody will know. This is your chance to go back. Um, I'm sorry, you might have not heard. To tell us that. I'm free now. That's who I was. That's not who I am. Jesus died on the cross to set me free from those habits, to set me free from those addictions, to set me free from that old person. I am free, and you ain't my master anymore. You're not my master anymore. I'm sorry. Somebody, sometimes you need to show your flesh the receipts. Remind your flesh who died for you. Remind your flesh what Jesus did for you on the cross. You're a free man. You're a free woman. Be free. The other time you would need receipts is if you bought a house. Yeah, like I have a house, but it's not really mine. It's Bank of America's. But one day I'm going to pay it off, and they're going to give me, hopefully, a receipt. So if anybody comes trying to take my house, to tell us that. You know that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just buy you eternal life, he bought you a home. You're sitting in it right now. You have a home here at Journey Church. This is your new home. Welcome home. This is your house. Sometimes when we walk in here, because we know who we were, it feels almost, I don't know if you've ever been like, almost guilty to pray, guilty to worship, like I don't really belong. I, you know what the Bible says? That we enter into the throne room of God with the blood of Christ as our advocate. The blood of Jesus speaks so that we can get into God's presence. I bet when we pray, there are some angels who look at us and be like, wouldn't that so-and-so? What are they doing up here in heaven? <laughs> Talking to God right now. They're sinners, they're simple. I can imagine our prayer. I like to think of our prayers as a person walking up into the throne room of God and all the angels are like, you shouldn't be here. You did that. Look at your light, look at your teenage years, look at where you were three weeks ago, look at all the, and I can just see our prayers being like, I know, I know, I know, it's just that. I got receipts. The blood says I can be here because of what, what was paid and what was free. So I know you've been in heaven for eternity, but I guess this is my home now too. I guess this is where I belong now too. I guess I got a place here now too. I can step into the throne room of God now boldly because I got receipts. Finally, I'm gonna take it all the way from first century AD to 2023. You know why you need receipts? In case you ever decide to shop at Costco. Raise your hand if you ever shop at Costco, because you know exactly what I mean. I gotta explain it to the rest of us who are not blessed to have that little membership card with the photo on it. The security at Costco, I swear, is like Fort Knox for cereal and, and electronics. They're very strict with their security. You can, you can buy a whole bunch of things, but the moment you try and take those things you bought home, there is a person at the Costco exit who takes their job a little too seriously. And they'd be like, excuse me, before you go on, all those things that you bought, can I see? Can I see the receipt? I'll tell you, there are very few feelings that I enjoy more than when I'm about to walk out of a Costco and I'm like, it's a telestyle. I just, it feels so good to be like, no, it's mine. And you can't take it from me. You know what I know about the devil? He don't mind you being blessed as long as you're only blessed in here. What he don't want is for you to take your blessing home. You know what I know about the devil? He don't mind you, Hendrix, having joy here with the people around and the music. He don't mind that here. What he don't want is for you to take that joy home. You know, he don't mind, you know what he don't mind? He don't mind you having peace here. It feels so good to be in God's presence. When the song hits, oh, I love that. What he don't want is for you to take peace home. But today gonna be different. Because today, when this service is over and you walk out those doors and the enemy tries to take what Jesus, what Jesus bought for you on the cross, and he tries to take it right when you leave that door and the world starts to sink in. You ever have that moment where church finishes and life begins? 
And it's like, well, I guess I'm gonna go back to my depression now. And I guess I'm gonna go back to my struggle now. And I'm just telling you right now, you need to whip out that receipt and show the devil the receipt. And I'm not leaving my peace in church any longer. Oh, come on, somebody. I'm not leaving that blessing in church any longer. I'm not leaving that freedom. I'm taking freedom home with me. I'm taking peace home with me. I'm taking breakthrough home with me. I'm taking worship home with me. I'm taking deliverance home with me. I'm taking my smile with me. I'm taking my worship with me. I'm taking my hands with me. I'm taking the bounce in my step with me. I'm taking my hope with me. I'm taking my mental peace with me. I'm taking forgiveness with me. I'm taking, I'm taking the innocence with me. I got receipts, devil. You can't take what the Lord brought for me. It's mine. It's mine. In Jesus' name, it's mine. I'm going to take my miracle with me. I'm going to take my faith with me. I'm taking it home. I got receipts. You can't have it. Just tell us that. It is finished. I got it. And the devil can't have it. Show the devil to receive somebody. Stay standing, stay standing, stay standing. It's time to show the devil the receipts. I'm, I'm tired of living my best life in church. I'm tired of it. It's time to take it home. It's time to share it with your children. Bring it to work. Bring it to school. Every head by every eye closed. Somebody needs to hear these words. It's over now. If you've been living in the past, if you've been stuck in bitterness right now, would you just release it? If you feel comfortable, I want you to open up your palms towards heaven because there's a letting go right now. There's a release right now. There's a freedom right now. Just open up your hands towards heaven like, like a palms upward and just let go of that bitterness right now. Why? Because it's finished. Stop carrying it. Let it go. Let it go. If you're worried about something today, if you're worried about someone today, you can stop now. It's finished. Eternity has been won. Freedom has been won. Peace has been won. Release your worry now. 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 It is finished. It is finished. It's over now. It's over now. It's time to live now. You can start now. Your best life is on the other side. You can move forward now. You can live now. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. You can live now. You can start now. It's over now. You're a free. You're a free man. You're a free woman. Receive the finished life of Jesus Christ. Come on, I feel God is breaking things right now in this room. I believe he's delivering people right now in this room. Come on, I feel these words are setting captives free today. And not that you are receiving something you didn't have. You're receiving something you never knew you had over your life right now. In that same spirit, in that same attitude, if you're in this room today and you are far from God, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, listen, I believe that this 6 p.m. service was intentional. I don't look around and see a room half full. I look around and see one person that God has been chasing for the last 13 years. And this service was for you. And it is time to stop running. Listen, it's over now. Come back home. It's time to come. Whatever happened, it's over. Whatever you're worried about, you can stop. And whatever you've been waiting for, you can start now. You can start now. That's why we put all this work for you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're that person I'm speaking about, this is your moment to tell Jesus, it's over, Lord. I'm tired. I'm coming home. I'm done running. On the count of three, I want you to raise your right hand high to the sky. Jesus, I need you in my life. I'm that person Pastor JJ is talking about. I'm the one who's been running. I'm the one who's been fighting and hiding. I'm ready to come back home. Hallelujah. On three, I want you to raise that hand if that's you. One, Jesus died for you. Two, your eternity is secure. Just receive it today. On three, if that's you, when I say three, shoot your right hand high. One, two, three. Raise your right hand right now. Come on, I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I, almost as many hands as in the services when they were full. I, I knew it. God had a plan for you tonight. He loves you so much. It's over now. If you raise your hand, and even if you didn't, would you be so kind as to join me in this prayer? Just say these words out loud. Dear Jesus, it's over now. My old life, it's over now. My future, I give it to you. I receive the finished work 
of the cross. And today, I start my new life. You came out of the grave on Easter Sunday. And today, so do I. Forgive me for my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now give it up for the 10 or 12 people. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.